Savannah has no shortage of homegrown success stories, and today's Difference Maker is among the brightest. Entrepreneur, philanthropist, education activist, serial organizational board member, Don Waters is all of those and more, and an influential community leader. He is our guest on today's Difference Makers podcast, presented as always by the Savannah Economic Development Authority. host and the editorial page editor of the Savannah Morning News and SavannahNow.com, and this is the Difference Makers podcast, where Savannah area community leaders talk about what they do, how they do it, and why. Difference Makers hail from several sectors, including commerce, government, education, arts and culture, and philanthropy. You probably recognize the names or at least the organizations these Difference Makers represent. This podcast is a chance to learn what makes them so successful. Pleased to be joined on Difference Makers today by Don Waters, who, quite frankly, this interview is years or year, year and a half in the making. And Don, of course, is a local businessman and did some law here, ran a company here, Brassler USA, and semi-retired and has been busy doing good things in the community uh, almost exclusively since then. And one of the things, not just for the community, but for the state, was to be on the Board of Regents, and he is the outgoing chair, or I believe on, we're taping this, I think two days before you officially are seceded right? as yeah. as chair of the Board of Regents. So for this conversation, he's still the chair, but when well, people hear actually this. actually, my term ended uh, December 31st. Okay, well then we'll call you the past chair. Yeah. But, <laughs> but regardless, we've been working on Don, and he was, he was somewhat reluctant because he was trying to kind of deal with some things as the chairman of the board and regents and wanted to focus on that and i respect that but we're glad to have him in here now in, in 2020 and talk a little bit about a lot of things education and uh, don not only involved with the board of regents but is involved with k-12 education in town he is a i guess benefactor might be the the proper term for the savannah classical academy is a big proponent supporter yeah. of of those kind of uh, initiatives in town but before we get to that Let's start where we are always do and talk biographical. I think a lot of folks in town, Don's been in town a long time, and a lot of folks know of him, but it's always good to kind of refresh the memories and introduce you to some new people. And your story really starts on the east side of Savannah in different circumstances, right? Can you kind of walk us through growing up uh, sure. in Savannah? Yeah, so uh, I was born in Savannah, uh, and uh, grew up on Anderson Street on the east side of Savannah. Uh, yeah, generally in the neighborhood around Waters Avenue and Anderson Street. And uh, yeah, wonderful childhood experiences. I, my mom and dad, my brother and I lived in a home over there. And uh, we, uh, of course, played a lot of sports and the Coke Field, which mm-hmm. is uh, now across from the Eastern Wharf development, okay. was uh, was a baseball field and uh, played a lot of baseball. And um, then uh, Kiwanis Ballpark, which is now the interchange of Anderson Street and uh, uh, Truman True. Parkway. That was a that was a great little baseball field where we played, and uh, of course a lot of time in Daffin Park and. Uh, but anyway, uh, attended public schools, uh, Romana Riley uh, Grammar School, then uh, Savannah High School starting in the eighth grade. Okay. 
uh, Richard Arnold had closed. My older brother went to Richard Arnold, but they had uh, school board had closed it or converted it into a vocational school. So we went straight into Savannah High. That was kind of culture shock for me as a eighth grader. I graduated when I was 17, so I was only 12, I guess, when I went over there and uh, was there for five years until graduated. Then, of course, continued my local experience. I actually went to work. Out of, out of high school, had worked most of my senior year, and uh, then my father, great influence on me, had uh, called Dr. Ashmore at Armstrong and asked uh, if I applied, would they admit me to Armstrong? Mm-hmm. Of course, like so many people, it was an entry-level higher education opportunity, and I, uh, my dad did that and told me he would really appreciate it if I'd go to college, so I thought about it and continued working full-time until the fall semester came and went part-time in my job and uh, went to Armstrong for four years, graduated, and had uh, several professors out there take interest in me, uh, primarily around my course of study in accounting, uh, Bob Morgan and Lamar Davis. And Lamar Davis in particular, this is local Judge Davis's right. father. Right asked uh, me what I was going to do when I graduated, and I was on a path to be a CPA and be an accountant, and he encouraged me to go to law school and combine law and accounting, and uh, very unique at that time in the early 70s, and uh, I did that, and I graduated from the University of Georgia Law School, so that's sort of my my Savannah time. Blue collar upbringing, I take it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, my my dad uh, was uh, employed by a grocery store chain okay. here. He had come to Savannah after the war. Was a combat World War II veteran and uh, met my mother and. Uh, they were married. My older brother was born. My dad worked for a, a chain of grocery stores called Colonial Stores. It was uh, doesn't exist any longer. I don't know who they've been merged up into, but uh, he did that, was in that uh, field for 20 years as a store manager and mm-hmm. uh, assistant manager and, and in the management ranks. And uh, unfortunately... Um, was severely injured uh, while on the job, and uh, when I was about 13, he uh, couldn't work any longer. Okay. And uh, so it was a big shift in in my plans, and uh, of course, we still lived in our little house on Anderson Street. Most of our neighbors bolted. They were moving out to Wilshire Estates and uh, Wilmington Island, and Mm -hmm. All those nice new neighborhoods in the early 60s, and uh, we stayed. In fact, my mother lived in that home until 1994, long after I was uh, out of Armstrong and working and back home working as a lawyer. So, mm-hmm. And what was the neighborhood? Everybody looked out for everybody, rode bikes. What, yeah. what was kind of the neighborhood <laughs> dynamic? when you? Well, uh, the neighborhood dynamic was it was uh, very much a mixed uh, neighborhood. We had uh, African American neighbors. Uh, you know, back in those days, late fifties, early sixties, it was uh, carefully uh, marked. I mean, the African American families tended to live right up to uh, call it Paulson Street or so, mm-hmm. and uh, the white families uh, were below that, down to B Road, and um, a lot of uh, open 
you know, everybody knew each other. There was no air conditioning. <laughs> so you stayed outside all the time. And, uh, you know, everybody had jobs as teenagers and uh, did a lot of sports and things. And a lot of my buddies in that neighborhood, a lot of uh, heavily Irish Catholic neighborhood as well. Okay. And um, so we, uh, again, stayed in the, in the community completely transitioned. It was uh, predominantly an African-American neighborhood. And, uh, you know, uh, my mother uh, stayed there long after my father died, as I, as I mentioned. And then you're going to go to Athens, and you've, you've never left Savannah. What was, <laughs> what, was, what was it like to go away from home for the first well, time for law the, school? The, the hard part uh, was uh, just learning my mother was such a wonderful person and really took good care of her two sons. Uh, I had to learn a lot about uh, taking care of yourself. The basics and necessities. And, right? uh, but at that time, I was, uh, had graduated from undergraduate school and was intensely focused on my my school work and my study so not being an undergraduate in athens is way different than being a professional student in vet school or grad school or law school or now medical school so um i was really focused on uh uh, knowing that I didn't have any connections to anybody in terms of, uh, like, here's your job when you graduate, some mm-hmm. great privilege. I didn't mm-hmm. have that. So mm-hmm. I, I felt like I'd better make my mark with good grades and hard work, and that's what I tried to do. And the vision was always to come back here and go to work in a accounting firm? Well, my, uh, my vision, uh, really, long-term vision was – uh, to combine the two and go into business in some some way, um, uh, the uh, idea was to see where it would take me. I felt like I had to get some good training and experience before I could come home. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cindy and I uh, were married right out of law school, and uh, – so eventually what I did is we went to work in Atlanta, uh, and I joined in a, a, what in those days was called a big eight accounting firm. I joined Arthur Anderson mm-hmm. in Atlanta, and it was another fantastic experience, a little humbling. Mm-hmm. You know, my, uh, my fellow law grads were all going to work for law firms, and I was one of the very few that chose to go to work for an accounting firm. I, I did that so I could get my CPA right. Uh, experience. I'd passed the CPA exam while I was in law school. So having done that, I, I wanted to get that certification. So, And what brought you back home? Uh, Cindy and I were expecting our first child in 1982. And uh, unsolicited, I was approached by some old friends at the Hunter McLean law firm about joining uh, uh, and enhancing their existing tax practice. And uh, so I was recruited uh, to come back to Savannah by Mark Silvers and Drew Ernst and um, uh, Mitchell Dunn eventually and Malcolm McLean. And I went to work for that firm and left Arthur Anderson. And there begins a relationship with Malcolm McLean. Oh, yes. You kind of talk about that mentor mentorship. Oh, yeah. Malcolm uh, was uh, a demanding, uh, community-focused, excellent, excellent lawyer, uh, highly sought out as an advisor and counselor to a lot of major businesses here and 
Uh, he had uh, a lot of respect, having been the former mayor of Savannah, mm-hmm. and properly credited with uh, successfully negotiating, maneuvering Savannah through the uh, civil rights era. Uh, peaceably, he integrated uh, Savannah City government before it was required by the Federal Civil Rights Act. And, um, and you so, were coming of age through that, so you had a pretty unique view of that. Yes, I, I, I was. Uh, in fact, it's kind of a interesting little story. When I was at Romana Riley, like a bunch of kids, I was a safety patrolman, and uh, Lieutenant uh, Funk and uh, – uh, was the policeman who kind of administered those programs, bicycle safety and all the rest of it. So I was sworn in as a safety patrolman by Mayor Malcolm McLean. Wow, and uh, I still have the <laughs> little certificate that Malcolm signed uh, in 1960. Uh, probably about 1962 63 and i still have that and in fact i took it in one day and showed it to him he was not impressed (laughs) (laughs) brad Harmon was in here about a month ago and he talked about how he obviously did not know malcolm mclean but he said just being in that firm people that did know him and did work with him they still quote him oh yeah time can you I've put you on the spot here. Can you kind of encapsulate what Malcolm McLean meant to to the firm, to the people that knew him? Yeah. Uh, Malcolm uh, had a great uh, background for, for what he did. He was uh, a local guy born here who uh, was uh, privileged to be able to go away to school, but he uh, – was a scholarship kid mm-hmm. uh i can remember asking his wife one time or it was in her presence mrs mclean francis we loved her dearly uh was asked why was malcolm such a competitive person and she said well that was because he was a scholarship kid at yale mm-hmm. and he had to bust tables in the afternoon for the same students that were in his uh, uh you know his uh, group of uh, friends and mm-hmm. that made him very competitive yeah that came from a little <laughs> bit more of a blue blood background <laughs> exactly so malcolm uh, finished yale and then uh was a navy rotc student and was immediately uh, called up for his active duty, but it was just before World War II started. Mm-hmm. And he was literally, as he used to tell me, on a uh, wooden yacht with a machine gun mounted to the uh, front of it, following uh, Lynn Lease ships from uh, New York to uh, London in, or to England in a, in a convoy. And he said, you know, he could have been – if the Germans had shot his boat with a twenty two rifle, it could have sunk, sunk the boat. Let alone a U-boat <laughs> yeah. coming through, huh? Wow. But, uh, you know, that sort of background makes a person, uh, you know, appreciate things. And when he graduated, uh, finished, the war was over. He also won the Bronze Star for heroism. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was for rescue activity in the North Pacific when he was a D.E. commander. Mm-hmm. Uh, after that, he uh, came back to Yale and said he wanted to enroll in law school. He'd been accepted. They said, you're too late. You're going to have to wait a year. And Malcolm said, what are you talking about? I'm getting old. I did my 
time and duration of the war. Mm-hmm. You know, I need to get on about school. Yeah, I can that. And they said, oh, go catch the train to Cambridge. They'll take you at Harvard. <laughs> so he, isn't that funny? So uh, he ended up starting late but going to Harvard and graduating, finishing Harvard Law School, which, you know, I think one of the two things that really – encapsulates what Malcolm meant and who he really was Uh, and I tried to honor this with the Historical Society by our family sponsoring a historical marker on 45th Street that says these things number one uh, when Malcolm became mayor of Savannah on his own without the assistance of an economic development group Port Authority anybody else he called upon one of his Harvard Law School classmates, who was the vice chairman of Grumman Aerospace, and on his own nickel, just flew to New York and met this guy and said, look, my city, Savannah, we need more industrial activity. I need for you to help us by putting together a uh, an assembly plan or something, and Grumman did it. Grumman did, yeah. And they later uh, hired Malcolm in a legal matter, and as a result of that, the government had determined that Grumman needed to spin off their corporate aircraft from their military aircraft, and Malcolm helped in, in that, and the end result was they became Gulfstream Aerospace. So Malcolm brought unequivocally malcolm brought gulfstream aerospace to savannah georgia and uh i know i've talked to al wright fair amount he's a great guy he's one of the original employees we share number 60 or something yeah exactly we share those stories and we are so very very pleased to have gulfstream here now with 11 12,000 employees so and that's what the an example that's what i meant was that's malcolm mclean is the good that one person can do for their community when they're selfless about what they do. And that's what he did. Uh, you know, some other lawyers always snickered and said, well, McLean did that to create a new client. But I can tell you from firsthand experience, he would not allow any lawyer at Hunter McLean to solicit work from Gulfstream. It was not, it was not permitted, mm-hmm. I think, for that very reason. Right. And while the firm enjoys a great relationship with Gulfstream today, that's way after Malcolm left, and they're hiring the firm for their expertise. So I think that sort of capsulizes who Malcolm was. The Difference Makers podcast is a great way to learn about Savannah and those who make the city tick. But there's a catch, of course, the two-week wait between episodes keep up with all that's going on in our town on a more regular basis by signing up for our free newsletters. We deliver an opinion page newsletter daily, and our news team does likewise. And for the foodies and Georgia Southern fans among the audience, weekly newsletters on those topics are available as well. Visit savannahnow.com newsletters now to get those newsletters delivered straight to your email inbox. Again, that's savannahnow.com newsletters. more recent years as you mentioned you you retired you're the hardest working retired person <laughs> that i know but let's go ahead and talk a little bit about getting involved with the board of regents and sure hit some of the hit some of the highlights and some of the things that have stuck out to you particularly last year but but yeah. in your tenure on the board of regents. yeah so uh again uh really that story begins at armstrong i uh 
When I came back home, uh, Dr. Burnett, uh, Dr. Jones, and uh, Dr. Blanken were all nice to me and reached out to me and asked me to help them with uh, things at Armstrong, alumni activity, but primarily the development of a foundation. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I was eager to do that because you know I knew inherently that the great universities have large foundations. Mm-hmm. And while Armstrong never was able to really raise up a lot of money, we did start a foundation in those early years. Uh, Mrs. Uh, Harriet Connor was very involved in it. Mr. M- uh, Muller uh, was very involved when I first came home. And they, they had raised money and, and, and had the foundation started. And then I would say it was Dr. Burnett who tried to jumpstart it and really get it much larger. And I did a couple of terms. I served as chairman of the Armstrong Foundation. And then uh, Dr. Jones really uh, brought us into a new era where we formed a second foundation around property development. And mm-hmm. we put together the various real estate deals on the south side of Savannah, including the old Publix uh, uh, grocery store and that whole strip shopping center is now, of course, the Armstrong Center. Yep. And it's uh, been incorporated into the campus. You can walk from campus yeah, over there. Cut, and it, cut the street through. Yeah. yeah, and it's really great. So mainly Armstrong, but uh, over the years I was asked to serve on the Medical College of Georgia Foundation uh, because of my business activity. And I was asked to serve on the University of Georgia Foundation. So I felt like I had broad Georgia experience with the foundations. And then um, in uh the year 2010, uh, the census was taken and redistricting occurred, and the first congressional district was redrawn. And when it was redrawn, it did not have a regent living in it. And so uh, I was contacted by a couple of people, uh, local business people, some of the Armstrong group uh, said, you know, it's an opportunity for a regent to be appointed for the first district. Mm -hmm. The previous regent was in Valdosta, Mm -hmm. and the regent before him had been in Brunswick. So Savannah had not had a regent for 12 to 15 years, close to 15 years. And, uh, of course, we had a great lineage of uh, regents. We had um, Ernie Friedman. We had Tom Coleman. We had Arthur Genlatt. In fact, in the early days, Ormond Hunter, the Hunter and Hunter McLean, had been the regent from Savannah. And so uh, I, I was reticent to do it. I was very active in my business career, but uh, I got a call from the governor's office and was asked to come speak to Governor Deal, whom I had met, and he uh, asked if I would accept the appointment as the first congressional district regent, and I agreed to do it. Uh, and I resigned from the foundation boards because mm-hmm. thinking that would be a conflict mm-hmm. and uh, began my tenure in uh, – by the time this occurred, it was uh, March of 2013. So I'm just finishing seven years as, right. a, as a regent. Right. So you go on to the Board of Regents, and obviously the Board of Regents, uh, they get a new chair every year, but it's, it's not like they start fresh every year. You're always right. kind of building. It's a long-term yeah. strategy. As you're coming up through, and you know that eventually you're probably going to be in the big, the big seat. What were some of the priorities? What were some of the things coming into last year that you wanted to accomplish, and and how did you do? 
Yeah, well, um, you know, I did. I served as chair of several committees. Uh, you know, with my background, I agreed to chair the audit committee, and I learned in a hurry that uh, that was an important role because uh, any matter that involved not just wrongdoing but uh, compliance with regulations, law, uh, the accounting functions, and so forth were, were governed by that committee. And I was active in that. And then I was active in academic affairs and uh, very interesting, the establishment of curriculum and so forth. And, and I really got interested in degree offerings. Um, it, it became obvious to me that uh, over many, many years, you know, the University System of Georgia through, at that time, 36 institutions uh, offered thousands of degrees. And we all, with the help of the chancellor, looked at each other and said, let's start talking about career readiness and let's talk about relevance of degrees and did a lot of work to re uh, work the curriculum of uh, the offered and the number of degrees and eliminated some degrees, added new degrees. And Governor Deal really had a, a, a large focus on career ready uh, mm-hmm. education yep. and, uh, you know, the best welfare plan ever invented. It's a good job, right? right. So, uh, at any rate, so by the time I was chairman, uh, we had 333,000 students. Uh, the annual economic impact on the state of Georgia last year was $17.7 billion. Uh, we have, uh, you know, close to 50,000 employees. Thousands and thousands of jobs are dependent upon the Board of Regents, whether it's vendors or construction or any other thing and uh, the other thing is we've put a huge emphasis on research and building up the strength of our research in the academy which is so important to economic development so uh, you know more than ever we have record uh, degree attainment Uh, last year 67,000 almost 68,000 students took degrees are now educated in the knowledge economy uh, Georgia, the percentage uh, that we need to get to is about 65% of our people need to have some higher education degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, our area is uh, higher education in colleges and universities. And, of course, the technical college system separate, and they're also working towards those things. So real proud of what we, what we did in my year as chairman. So. I've been in Georgia in 20 years now, and the university system has changed. It's hard to even put a finger on it. You've really seen an evolution. And, of course, Georgia and Georgia Tech were the, the two flagships at the time. They remained the two flagships. But you've seen other schools kind of grow and yes. come up. You've seen schools consolidate. I, I want to get around to our, to our, two, to our local schools. Sure. But let's talk more big picture. The two things that, for lack of a better word, you have second-tier universities. You have Georgia and Georgia Tech, and then you have, like I said, lack of a better word, the second-tier, and Kennesaw, Georgia State, Georgia Southern. You've seen these schools just explode in the last 20 years. And then you have the smaller, you know, Columbus State or, or all around the state, um, Clayton State, these other state schools that are, again, for lack of a better term, a tier below that. 
how has that evolution happened and how do you think that has really kind of strengthened the educational offerings in the state well first of all we we do have excellent flagship universities but we approach it as uh, an opportunity to segment in effect the market for higher education and so we have state colleges we have state universities we have comprehensive colleges we have research institutions and then we have the highest level the r1 institutions Mm -hmm. so in the state of georgia we have four r1s and they bring uh, more than a billion dollars approaching two billion dollars in research grants to the state of georgia which is leveraged into more jobs and more research for industry Uh, so we have georgia tech the university of georgia Georgia State University and Augusta University, which includes the Medical College of Georgia, are all of our research R1s. And we don't invent those things. That is a higher education standard that has been developed by the Carnegie Endowment, the Carnegie Foundation. Mm -hmm. So just below R1s are the R2s. And that would include, as examples, Georgia Southern University, which is one of the reasons I'm so bullish and proud of what we're doing with Armstrong, Liberty County, Liberty Campus, and Georgia Southern, because as an R2, it's on a pathway to build that critical mass of research, which is so important for not only academic development, but hand in glove with economic development. Mm -hmm. And that'll be a great thing for Southeast Georgia and the entire state of Georgia. Kennesaw is also an R2, and they have significant activities in that regard. So the way we look at it, I I think, uh, would be best to describe. Of course, our system is run by our chancellor, Mm -hmm. in effect, our CEO and the Board of Regents and the the chairman and vice chairman together with the board of regents are the policy setting uh, oversight group under our state constitution so as a group we view the system as one organization with strengths at all levels so uh, each institution develops its own strategic plan for example with oversight from the central office but they're free to pursue what their market driven demands are so for example engineering is the classic example in the state of georgia Uh, not that many years ago it was focused entirely at georgia tech and this is still a sensitive issue to a lot of people, but uh, I'm a proponent of what we did as regents. It was done before I became a regent, but the approval of uh, both uh, the University of Georgia and Georgia Southern to expand academic outreach and to train more engineers, men and women, to be educated as engineers to hopefully stay in Georgia and build out careers and families here mm-hmm. with great strong engineering backgrounds is uh, is a is a tremendous economic boost for our state and so Georgia Tech uh, would have that premier engineering role and there's unhappiness well why can't more kids get into Georgia Tech 
Well, I, I know that the new president, Angel Cabrera, is working on a plan to expand the freshman class so more Georgians will go to Georgia Tech. But then the great work at the University of Georgia and now Georgia Southern. Mm-hmm. And with bringing Armstrong into Georgia Southern, I learned just yesterday in a meeting, a discussion with Dr. Mohammed Devoud, who is the head of the engineering school at Georgia Southern, that there are 400 Armstrong students on Armstrong campus studying engineering, doing their core curriculum, building up to the eventual graduation with an engineering degree. And our emphasis at Georgia Southern is uh, manufacturing engineering. And, you know, it's a two-way, two-edged sword. You can say, well, where do they go to work? Well, a lot of them do go to work for Gulfstream and other uh, organizations that demand engineering talent. Well, others uh, who graduate will help us attract new industry to the area because, as you know, workforce development is the hottest topic in economic development. So you might ask yourself, why didn't we get some of these large companies that went to Charleston? And I think part of the solution is what our governor's office uh, in the past and of course today and our board of regents are working to make sure we've got the critical mass of talented engineers to attract more business into southeast georgia and uh, the armstrong georgia southern consolidation will will work towards that end so you can see it's uh it's one system but now with consolidation 26 institutions each with a unique mission so what we want to do is feed the mission of the institution and let it rise to its own level, accomplishing its mission. And Georgia Tech's mission is going to be different from Georgia Southern's mission. We are speaking with Don Waters, Savannah community leader and a member of the Georgia Board of Regents on this episode of the Difference Makers podcast. Before we continue our discussion, let's pause and recognize the Difference Makers presenting sponsor and a real difference maker in our community the Savannah Economic Development Authority. The team at CETA is pushing to make Savannah a great place to work and live. CETA is committed to creating, growing, and attracting jobs and investment in the Savannah region. Whether a business looking to relocate to Savannah or an existing business ready to grow and expand, CETA is the centrifuge of a propeller, making the connections, helping propel the business to success. Learn more about the Savannah Economic Development Authority and what they do in the Savannah community by visiting CETA.org. Now back to Don Waters. Let's, let's stay right there and talk about Georgia Southern's mission. They, of course, consolidated yeah. recently. And I know it pains you that there are still some people that yeah. that are pushed back against it. We talked before the microphones went on about why that was, and, and we kind of agreed that a lot of it is people feel like they've kind of lost their sense of identity. Yeah. Uh, but what the actual operation of the university has to go beyond that. And, right and be for the students and be for the future right can you kind of talk me through where you see it eventually going what do you see it uh, accomplishing yeah uh well you know the university system of georgia has uh, well defined and documented and just recently in fact while i was chairman in the fourth quarter last year we adopted a new strategic plan and the first initiative in the strategic plan is student success i mentioned that 
you know, we have probably 38 to 40 percent of the population of Georgia uh, has some uh, higher education certification, associate's degree, bachelor's degree, et cetera, master's, right up to doctorate. And uh, the economic forecasters and the demographic analysis is we really need to be competitive with Pennsylvania, Texas, Colorado, New York, Illinois, Ohio. Uh, we need to have more like 65% of our people uh, with higher education. So uh, how does that translate into my backyard? You know, I'm a proud Armstrong grad. My brother's an Armstrong grad. My wife's an Armstrong grad. There, uh, My in-laws are Armstrong grads. There are seven of us that attended, six graduated. My daughter attended and ended up pursuing a master's degree at the University of Virginia, well well-educated in the University of Georgia undergrad, and uh, all with contact points, roots, social, cultural, community, deep, deep, deep love and affection and ties to Armstrong. Mm-hmm. So when I was asked uh, whether I would support the consolidation of Armstrong and Georgia Southern, I brought a, a certain amount of optimism for the future of Armstrong, but a certain amount of cynicism, really, over what was it all about. Right. And, uh, you know, I did several things. I spent a lot of time in the central office reading the old file on Armstrong. You know, why did it lose its business school? Why did Savannah State lose education? And these were settlements reached in the middle 70s when I was just out of college. I mean, I was a I was a kid. I was a student just trying to start my career. Mm-hmm. I certainly didn't have anything to do with what was laid out in those days. But as a regent, I, I determined that I could do something about it as an adult mm-hmm. and as now you know good lord works in strange ways 40 years later i'm the regent right. so i was determined that armstrong would find its rightful place as an economic engine for southeast georgia and uh you know we had tried the g trep georgia tech regional campus down right. here being right. fed by georgia southern armstrong and savannah state that uh, did not achieve its ultimate goals. It's still there as a campus of Georgia Tech, yeah. professional education, and so forth, Gulfstream activity, all great for the state of Georgia. But I was determined that Armstrong would, would enhance its relevance as more than just a specialty educator of uh, defined career fields. So. I accepted and enthusiastically supported the consolidation with Georgia Southern as a growth plan, not as an expense-cutting plan or a plan to reduce uh, faculty positions or to move things away from Savannah. Uh, I embraced it because I knew that it would present more student opportunities, more degree programs back to having bachelor's degrees in business, back to having master's in business, maybe a master's in accounting, my field. Uh, We would have engineering, full course of engineering, electrical, mechanical, civil, manufacturing, engineering. Uh, That has all come to pass. in the two years since we've done it, uh, the uh, goes without saying the uh, teacher education. My my was very uh, bullish on the idea that Armstrong produced great educators, and I just think 
that's enhanced by being part of Georgia Southern. And when the chancellor and the study committee, we didn't direct this to happen. And I know there's hurt feelings in Statesboro as well. Uh, but uh, the 41-person study committee recommended that three – of the deans be in Savannah, one of which would be education. Mm-hmm. Uh, education still in Statesboro. It's a vibrant, vital part of the Statesboro campus, but it's also a vital part of the Armstrong campus. And, you know, with a much larger public school system here, uh, the idea that our College of Education would be in Savannah promoting innovative, creative partnerships between the College of Education and the school board. To, in partnership with the school board, in partnership with the technical college system, to me is a fantastic opportunity to enhance the level of educational attainment in my hometown and in my region and my part of the Georgia. So I was very enthusiastic. And the icing on the cake, of course, is that our medical community here is is on a parity with, with big cities. I mean, we're very fortunate in Savannah to have the HCA facility at Memorial, Mm -hmm. St. Joe Candler, major, major surgical groups, huge nursing community, uh, rehab hospitals, the whole array of of healthcare in Savannah. We're very fortunate. The idea that we would have the health professions and public health colleges, deans at Armstrong, and then we would build up health you know, it's about uh, a third of the, maybe not that much, 25% of the national economy is healthcare. Mm-hmm. By tapping into that at Armstrong, and uh, just all of that just meant a lot to me. And I, I felt very confident that when we get past some of these rough issues about enrollment and people being wary of it and so forth, that in the fullness of time, we're going to look back in 20 years, and this is going to be a tremendously successful move. And I must say, in comparison to the 1978 decisions to dismantle parts of Savannah State and Armstrong, this is not doing that. This will enhance Savannah State. It will enhance Armstrong, and it will enhance Southeast Georgia and Georgia Southern. So I feel very bullish about the future and what it means for students. A kid like myself uh, 45 years ago, longer, 48 years ago, had I known you could go to Armstrong and graduate as an electrical engineer or that the whole technology boom would come to uh, the economy, those kids at Armstrong, those students, I should say, first career and then second career opportunities, taking IT courses in the middle of an engineering program, programming uh, work, IT solutions, those are major opportunities for students, major opportunities. Not to mention we have outstanding uh, liberal arts schools as well. I mean, you can still go to Armstrong or Georgia Southern and get a degree in history. Mm-hmm. You can do anything you want to do. It just opened up a big array of opportunities that were not present when Armstrong was standalone. You mentioned Savannah State, and while I think a lot of the the Georgia Southern Armstrong angst is is maybe exaggerated, the angst at Savannah State probably is not, and they are trying to find their, if not a new direction, at least kind of figure out where they're going, and uh, enrollment has been down. They have a new president now, or at least an interim president. Looking to the future, how 
confident are you in, in the, the future over there? And what do you think might change or what needs to change in terms of Savannah State? It's a good question, Adam. I, I'm, I'm very, very uh, interested in this subject, and I've made it my business to uh, make myself available uh, to Savannah State faculty, administrators, alumni, and foundation members because I I'm very passionate about the future of Savannah State. And, um, you know, why do I put it that way? Well, frankly, as the first congressional district regent, uh, you know, unless my phone rings or somebody reaches out to me, I don't, I don't know what someone other than on my own work as a regent, I don't, I don't really know what their concerns are. But in the case of Savannah State, I've been very proactive to become involved uh, with with their with their various constituencies and a couple of our former mayors and and other uh, Savannah State alums uh, and I meet with some degree of regularity every few months and talk about the future of Savannah State. I'm determined, committed, and see no movement at all to consolidating Savannah State with another college. People ask me all the time, well, and and I kind of sense it's uh, from the standpoint of, well, Armstrong was merged. Why don't we merge Savannah State? And and I think the difference is back to what I said earlier, 26 institutions with 26 missions. Mm -hmm. And uh, the mission of Savannah State is to deepen, broaden, and strengthen its heritage as a historically black college and university. Mm -hmm. Um, All students are welcome, but it is at its core an HBCU. And it should have the full array of programs, but it should and must have its own strategy, and it should and must have its own economic financial underpinnings to make sure it's successful. So if you look at uh, from the year 2000 to the year 2020, this 20-year span, Savannah State had about 2,000 students in the year 2000. So the growth has been really great. What what upsets me a touch, and doesn't upset me, it just concerns me, is there's a misunderstanding that the little bit of growth that was attained, call it from 2012 to 2018, and has now receded, it's still tremendously larger and much more impact economically and academically than it was just in the year 2000. Much more vibrant, too. More vibrant. So if in the year 2000 with 2,000 students, true, it got up to about 4,500, and it's back to 3,800, 3,600 in that range. Compare 3,600 to 2,000. Mm -hmm. So see, it's almost 100% larger than it was just 20 years ago. So it has had tremendous growth. The other thing that I'm I'm really proud of is the depth and breadth of the programs they have. Uh, They have uh, STEM-based education. They have middle school education. Uh, development of middle school administrators and teachers for the local school board. They have um, the forensic science program, uh, which uh, builds great career opportunities for their students in homeland security jobs. Those kids graduate and get jobs, those students. 
pardon me as a 66 year old for saying those kids but those students get those jobs and uh, then in marine sciences mm-hmm. uh, governor kemp was just here a couple of weeks ago and we all toured with uh, president interim president kimberly ballard washington and then had a nice discussion with the governor about marine sciences those kids very diverse student body, well-led, good deans, good professors, very solid people. Those, those students graduate and get great jobs. We interrupt the Difference Makers podcast to remind you about our other regular podcasts, such as the At Savannah Opinion Commute, hosted by yours truly with a new episode that posts every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. The Commute is the easiest way to keep up with the latest news and happenings that Savannians are talking about. Search for The Commute with at Savannah Opinion on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. Episodes are also available through the savannahnow.com website at savannahnow.com slash podcast. You can also check out our other podcasts, such as Georgia Southern Extra with its focus on Georgia Southern football, the Do Savannah podcast with its emphasis on local arts and entertainment, and the daily See You in the Morning podcast that offers a roundup of the day's headlines. Enrollment leads to a, a pretty good philosophical question, and we segue a little bit into this, and that's the value of a college degree today. Right. There's a lot of discussion about, yes. you know, what is the value of a four-year degree? What is the value of a liberal arts degree? Should we encourage trade schools, a little something for everybody trying to figure out with with the economy today where the holes are going to be and, and where the jobs are going to be and where we're best served? Mm-hmm. From where you sit, what are some of the myths conceptions and then maybe where some of the things that are right well i think there are several misconceptions i can remember speaking to someone who said that uh, they were a family farm and a student went off one of the kids went off to university and majored in german and came home and now they're riding the back of a tractor and why did they do that it was a wasted uh, effort, uh, of course, you know the uh, th- that that's sort of a silly example, but it's a true story that was told to me. So the myth that kids, students go to college and major in things that don't matter, and then don't have career plans, uh, that might have been true in the '60s and '70s and even the '80s, but it's not true today. And, I mean, I would mention two or three things we've done to make sure that's not the case. One is we've got an initiative called Momentum Year, where that very first year you are counseled, you are uh, encouraged, you're in many universities, colleges, in effect, required to declare majors and to tailor your curriculum around, I got here, it's fall of 2020 coming up. Well, I'm going to be done in four years, mm-hmm. maybe five years at the most. And that has two or three effects. One, it keeps the student in focus. It keeps the momentum going for them to graduate on time. If they graduate on time, they have less expense. And we have several expense-cutting initiatives. Just online textbooks, we've gutted tens of millions of dollars in cost out of higher education by posting uh, textbooks and other things online. Mm -hmm. 
and and that's something that's happened since I've been a regent. So if you take uh, the idea that we hold tuition as low as possible, I think another big myth is that, you know, these kids are paying eighty, ninety thousand dollars $90,000 a year to go to college. Well, that might be true at one of these private schools, but at the University of Georgia, Georgia Tech, Georgia Southern, Savannah State, our great 26 colleges and universities, we had two full years with no increases in tuition, something like that would have been, I think, 2016 and 2018. And then we've held the tuition increases to approximately 1, 1.2%, in that range, 1.5, so less than the rate of inflation. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, you want to you wanna make a comparison. Compare construction cost yeah. with the rate of tuition increases in state universities and the university system of Georgia. Um, it's really a tremendous bargain. And it goes back to what I said earlier. With the focus on career-ready goals, efficient system, low tuition, get in, get graduated, get out, go to work. Mm -hmm. So Georgia is now the eighth most populous state. Mm -hmm. Uh, Number seven is Ohio, and we're closing in on Ohio. Mm -hmm. Behind Ohio is Illinois. Illinois is losing population. Behind Illinois is Pennsylvania. So Georgia, in my lifetime, our lifetime, could could become the fifth largest state in the United States. And we're going to need excellent higher education in a knowledge-based economy. And more and more and more of our kids, our students, our people, majoring in fields of study, engineering, computer science, business, health care, where we feed these these uh, growing demands in the market economy. Uh, that's not to say that we don't need liberal arts majors. I mean, you can still – many, many, many of the college graduates I hired at Brassler had liberal arts degrees who became successful sales representatives, marketing representatives – technical research people so you know i continue to believe that a liberal arts degree is a mind expanding knowledge deepening opportunity Mm -hmm. and if you obtain a lifelong uh, interest in learning via a liberal arts degree then you're going to be a great employee for somebody and of course the core uh, very basic soft skills of being able to articulate yourself, speak well, and be able to write down what you think and communicate via writing is uh, those are timeless virtues that everybody needs in any job. And of course, liberal arts degrees enhance those skills. So I think there are a lot of myths about student conduct and student uh, activities that in many ways simply aren't true on in Georgia at least in the university system uh, you know there are examples of uh, of extreme behavior but it's 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 by and large serious students who are serious about getting their degrees and going to work the other thing that we've done and put a lot of emphasis on is the fact that while we have growth demographics as a state the graduating high school seniors that go to college it's not that they're dropping out of high school it's not that they don't want to go to college that particular demographic is shrinking Mm -hmm. so for the first time in the history of georgia in a long time i won't say in the history but in in modern times uh, within the next two to four years the number of high school graduates will be declining 
So it's incumbent on us to be practical and rational to attract people back for career goals as second opportunities. So one of the things I'm most proud of what Armstrong's done in healthcare is whether you're an LPN or a nurse's aide and you're a single mom and you're able to go back to the college of health professions, get a degree in nursing, maybe get a master's degree, you're going to greatly enhance your marketability and you're going to raise your pay by doing that and that's what we're about you know we want to have a more prosperous georgia through education i want to wrap up here by stepping away from higher education and and into k-12 through education which i know is something you take a tremendous interest in 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 public education and in particular alternatives to traditional public schools of course as you mentioned earlier you're involved with savannah classical academy charter schools are something that in this state have have grown in number and have grown in terms of of popularity where do you see traditional public schools alternative public schools where does it all work together and and what does it need to be it's a great question uh so my family and i together with others uh have have supported the Savannah Classical Academy. I, I became interested in it because it's smack dab in the middle of my childhood neighborhood that I spoke of earlier. And, uh, you know, I wanted to renovate Romana Riley School and continue the heritage of Miss Romana Riley. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, that was turned into a low income housing development, which is fine. It also enhances the neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we ended up buying the um, St. Pius Tenth building. Right down the street. Right down the street, three, four blocks away, and renovating it. So I think charter schools uh, serve a, a useful role in giving parents an opportunity if they want a particular mission of a charter school, sort of like a magnet school. You know, Savannah High School is now Savannah High, and the old Savannah High is the Savannah Arts Arts Academy, and that's a magnet school. The charter serves a similar purpose to broaden and expand those opportunities. Well, Don, thank you for coming in. Fascinating conversation, worth the wait. Of, of many months to sit down with you and uh we'll look forward to checking back with you uh, in the future as uh, your your regent's tenure continues and see where everything goes locally and we'll circle back thanks again thank you adam thanks to don waters for sharing his story on difference makers thank you also to our presenting sponsor the savannah economic development authority tap into the difference makers archives anytime on your favorite podcast app to hear interviews with more of savannah's community leaders such as georgia state senator ben watson savannah's new mayor van johnson as well as local high school basketball coach tim jordan georgia ports authorities griff lynch and many more difference makers is a production of the savannah morning news and savannahnow.com our next episode will post february the 7th thank you for listening